Hello everyone and welcome to the August 5th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. Several major lien claimants filed a lawsuit in federal court seeking to avoid payment of millions of dollars in lien activation fees before the end of 2013. The defendants are Governor Edmund G. Brown, Attorney General Kamala D. Harris, DIR Director Christine Baker, WCAB, uh, WCAB Chair Ronnie Kaplan, and DWC Acting Director Dusty Overpeck. The suit requests declaratory, injunctive, and other relief and challenges the constitutionality of certain provisions of SB 863 that retroactively impose a $100 activation fee on liens. Plaintiffs allege that they filed valid liens prior to 2013 that constitute vested property rights and that the mandatory dismissal provisions of the activation fee law interfere with those rights. The plaintiffs also complain that other large holders of workers' compensation liens are arbitrarily exempted from the fee, such as insurance companies, HMOs, and labor union benefit plans. Thus, they allege that these provisions of SB 863 are unconstitutional under the takings, due process, and equal protection clauses of the United States Constitution. Accordingly, this action seeks preliminary and permanent injunctions preventing the defendants from enforcing these provisions of SB 863. Plaintiffs Christina Arana and Associates Incorporated holds approximately 4,500 liens. Joyce Altman Interpreters Incorporated holds approximately 4,745 liens. Sandock Imaging Incorporated holds approximately 2,300 liens. And Buena Vista Medical Services Inc. allege they hold approximately 20,888 liens. In total, plaintiffs allege the activation fees are more than $2 million and they presently lack the ability to pay these fees. This case should move rapidly through the federal system, at least at the trial level. San Diego Hospital-based physicians and its two owners, Dr. Maria Ramirez and Dr. Dahlia Strasser, sued El Centro Regional Medical Center, alleging the hospital retaliated against them for complaining about patient care practices. The hospital is a municipal agency owned by the city of El Centro and is governed by a seven-person board of trustees. San Diego Hospital-Based Physicians is an entity that provides hospitalist personnel and services and is owned by doctors Strasser and Ramirez, who both specialize in internal medicine and hospital medicine. Hospitalists are generally internal medicine doctors who treat hospitalized patients to ensure they receive proper care, including diagnoses and appropriate specialty referrals. According to allegations in the complaint, the hospital hired Team Health Incorporated to manage and operate the hospital's emergency department. Shortly after, the plaintiffs became concerned about Team Health's practices and the nature of the contract between the hospital and Team Health, which they believed negatively affected patient care. These doctors complained that Team Health physicians frequently admitted patients into the hospital, despite the fact that these patients were not properly stabilized, diagnosed, or treated in the emergency room, or 
that they should have been transferred to other hospitals with available surgeons and or necessary medical equipment. These plaintiffs reported their concerns to hospital administrators. And the response was that the hospital board voted to terminate the plaintiff's services without cause. Several months later, plaintiffs filed their lawsuit against the hospital and Team Health. In that lawsuit, the hospital moved to strike the complaint under California's anti-slap statute. The trial court denied the motion and the hospital appealed. The Court of Appeals sustained the denial of the anti-slap motion in the unpublished opinion of San Diego hospital-based physicians versus El Centro Regional Medical Center. One of the elements required to reject an anti-slap motion to dismiss is a determination by the court that there is a probability that the plaintiffs will prevail on its claims. The Court of Appeal concluded that plaintiffs met this burden and may proceed with their case. John Pike, the former police officer who pepper sprayed students during an Occupy protest at the University of California, Davis, is applying for workers' compensation, claiming he suffered psychiatric injury from the 2011 confrontation. Pike has a settlement conference set for August 13th in Sacramento, according to the State Department of Industrial Relations website. Organizers are already planning a demonstration outside the state building in the hopes of urging the WCAB to reject the former cop's claim. Pike was fired in July 2012, eight months after a task force investigation found that his action was unwarranted. Online videos of him and other officers casually dousing demonstrators with pepper spray went viral, spiking outrage at UC Davis leaders. The images became a rallying symbol for the Occupy Wall Street movement. Hackers posted Pike's information online. The former Marine sergeant received scores of threats that led an Alameda County court judge to rule against releasing the names of other officers at the scene. This week, a state appeals court ruled news organizations are entitled to know the names of a dozen University of California police officers who were interviewed about the use of pepper spray on demonstrators at UC Davis. In the aftermath, the University of California agreed to pay $1 million to settle a lawsuit filed by demonstrators, and the chief of the UC Davis Police Department resigned. Protesters hope that Pike's workers' compensation claim be denied. And now our fraud report. 37-year-old Tigran Alkayan of Van Nuys, the owner and operator of a DME supply company, was sentenced to serve 24 months in prison for conspiring to submit nearly $1 million in fraudulent claims to Medicare. In addition, he was sentenced to serve three years of supervised release and ordered to pay about $650,000 in restitution. Last April, Alkion pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit health care fraud. In his plea agreement, Alkion admitted that he was the owner and president of Los Tunis, a DME supply company located in San Gabriel. Alkion admitted he conspired with others to provide medically unnecessary power wheelchairs and other DME and submitting false and fraudulent claims to Medicare. 
Halkian also admitted that he paid the owners and operators of fraudulent medical clinics to provide him with prescriptions and supporting medical documentation. The case was investigated by the FBI and other federal agencies and was brought as part of the Medicare fraud strike force. And in regulatory news, nine states have seen significant workers' compensation reform bills signed into law so far this year. Oklahoma's workers' compensation reform laws have received the most attention because of the inclusion of an opt-out provision known as the Oklahoma Option. Employers in Oklahoma that choose the option are required to provide a written benefit plan that serves as a replacement for the workers' compensation coverage. This benefit plan must provide for full replacement of all indemnity benefits offered in the workers' compensation system. The key component of the Oklahoma option for employers is that it gives them full control of the medical treatment through their benefits plan. Unlike the Texas opt-out, the Oklahoma option does not permit employees to pursue a negligence action through the civil courts. The recently passed reform bill in Delaware was designed to control medical costs and encourage return to work efforts. The use of physician dispensed medication has been a significant issue in Florida workers' compensation. Physicians were charging several times what the same medication would cost from a retail pharmacy, and the costs were not regulated by a fee schedule. New Florida law creates a maximum reimbursement rate for physician dispensed medications of 112.5% of the average wholesale price plus an $8 dispensing fee. Legislation passed in Georgia should have a positive impact on workers' compensation costs for Georgia employers. Effective this July 1, medical benefits for non-catastrophic cases are capped at 400 weeks from the date of accident, whereas previously injured workers were entitled to lifetime medical benefits for all claims. In Indiana, legislation was passed that establishes a hospital fee schedule at 200% of Medicare rates. This is consistent with other states that base their fee schedules on Medicare rates. Minnesota joined most other states in amending its statutes to allow for mental, mental industrial injuries. Missouri's reforms were focused on addressing the insolvent second injury fund and returning occupational disease claims to the workers' compensation system. Recent legislative changes in New York will reduce employer costs by about $800 million annually. These savings are derived primarily by streamlining the assessment collection process and eliminating the 25A fund and its associated assessments. New York's workers' compensation assessments are the highest in the nation, so employers welcome any relief in this area. Tennessee and Oklahoma both moved its workers' compensation dispute resolution process from a court-based system to an administrative system leaving Alabama as the only state in the nation that still uses the trial courts for all such litigation. And in medical news, in the first effort of its kind, the nonprofit publisher of Consumer Reports magazine released ratings of nearly 2,500 U.S. hospitals in all 50 states. The ratings will surely ignite debate, especially since many nationally renowned hospitals earned only mediocre ratings. The Cleveland Clinic 
some Mayo Clinic hospitals in Minnesota, and Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, for instance, rated no better than or worse than many small hospitals. The ratings also underline the difficulty patients have finding objective information on the quality of care at a given facility. The ratings are based on Medicare claims and clinical records data from 2009 to 2011 for 86 kinds of surgery, including back operations, knee and hip replacements, and angioplasty. Some of the findings are counterintuitive. Many teaching hospitals, widely regarded as pinnacles of excellence, fell in the middle of the pack. Rural hospitals did better on average than other hospitals, and many hospitals practically unknown beyond their own zip codes outranked the famous ones. According to the National Institutes of Health, 8 out of 10 people have back pain at some point in their lives. In a new study, researchers from the Harvard Medical School in Boston and their colleagues tracked nationally representative data on outpatient visits for these back and neck pain cases. They studied information on about 24,000 visits, which represented a total of 440 million appointments across the U.S. And these researchers concluded that treatment guidelines were often ignored by these treating physicians. The American College of Physicians and the American Pain Society recommended in their guidelines that people with low back pain consider treatment with Tylenol or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs as well as heating pads and exercise. The guidelines say opioids are only recommended for patients with severe disabling pain that does not improve with over-the-counter medications. And also that the risks such as for abuse and addiction should be weighed against potential benefits. And the guidelines also say that doctors should only order CT and other scans when they suspect nerve damage. Despite these guidelines, the study showed that surgery injections and scans for back pain have all increased over the years dramatically. And despite these increased amounts of utilization, there are no corresponding better outcomes. And in other news, applications are now being accepted for the Qualified Medical Evaluator Examination, which will take place on Saturday, October 19th. Applications for the exam may be downloaded from the DWC website. The QME application form is included in the exam packet. The deadline for filing exam applications is September 12th. The QME exam will be given at two locations. The Northern California exam will be given at the South San Francisco Conference Center, 255 South Airport Boulevard in South San Francisco. In Southern California, the examination will be at the Irvine Marriott Hotel, 18000 Von Carmen Avenue in Irvine. The examination content is based in part on the information contained in the Physician's Guide to Medical Practice in the California Workers' Compensation System, which is an IMC publication in the winter of 2001, third edition, and also on the DWC Medical Unit Study Guide 2013 version. As a result of 2003 and 2004 legislative changes and 2009 and 2013 regulatory changes, some portions of this Physician's Guide may be inconsistent with current law.
Therefore, it must not be considered authoritative and should only be consulted as a historical document. Also effective January 1st, 2001, a physician seeking appointment as a QME on or after January 1 of 2001 must also complete a 12-hour course on disability evaluation report writing approved by the DWC. On July 31st, Employers Insurance celebrated its 100th anniversary and employers hosted commemorative events at its Reno, Nevada headquarters and at its offices across the country. The company originated in 1913 as Nevada's state fund, providing insurance for the state's businesses. After a successful privatization in 2000, the organization transformed into a mutual holding company, the first ever in Nevada. Then in 2007, employers demutualized and completed an initial public offering to become a publicly traded company listed on the New York Stock Exchange. The company has continually added to and expanded its operations since then. Today, the company operates in 31 states and the District of Columbia. Its 100-year anniversary was a tremendous milestone. Douglas Dirks, President and Chief Executive Officer, said he is very proud of what the company has accomplished. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And please remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod or Android, Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I am Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks again for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.